Matthew chapter 13. We're going to read from verse 24 through to verse 43. Matthew continues writing this. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can come again this evening before your word. And we ask now very much for your help by your Holy Spirit, that we might understand what you are saying to us through it. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Once, and I'm hesitant in admitting this because earlier today I said I couldn't bake for fear that I would end up on a rota. Once I baked a courgette cake, and I did that because I lived in Morningside. And that's what one does. The realm of carrot cake seemed to me at least to be relatively passé. I wanted to push the vegetable-based boat out. Um, Now, what I was going to put in the oven, in a kitchen that now resembled a bomb site, I was finding grated courgette on the hob for some time afterwards. 
what I wanted to put in the oven bore very little resemblance to the picture in the book, which I found to be most disconcerting. I figured that one of us had got it wrong. I decided it was probably me. And in the moment, as I contemplated this soupy, crugetti, yellow mix, it felt like my expectations of a, a beautiful crugette cake had been well and truly dashed. Now, we're going to leave the crugette cake in the oven, and I want to go back to Matthew chapter 11. Um, we've come back to this question we hear from John the Baptist in Matthew 11 on a number of occasions. Um, it's in Matthew 11, verse 3. And John says to Jesus, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now, it's a great question because it's dealing with an elephant that has planted itself well and truly in the heart of the narrative at this stage in the gospel. Are you the one who is to come, says John, or shall we look for another? Because John is looking at Jesus, and no doubt as he does so, he's calling to mind the promises, the expectations of the Christ, the Messiah. Here is one. Here is one who says he is the Son of God, yet life for God's people is still messy. It's hard. John is in prison. Here is one who says he is the Son of God, yet outside of the miracles, the promised kingdom looks weak. It's being built by 12 men, some of whom are fishermen who can't even read. Here is one who says he is the Son of God, but it's difficult to gauge whether any real progress is being made because time and time and time again, the message that this king is proclaiming is coming up against rejection. And so a bit like me with my soupy courgette cake mix and the picture in the recipe book, John is looking at Jesus, and perhaps the followers of Jesus are doing this too, perhaps we are this evening, and wondering how do the words and works of Jesus about this kingdom he has inaugurated match up with what John had anticipated, with what I had anticipated, that the kingdom of God would look like, because at times it simply feels like the two of them can't possibly be connected. At this stage, the narrative is still very much moving forward towards the Great Commission at the end of the Gospel, where Jesus will send his followers then and us now out to share the good news of the kingdom. And Jesus here is training the disciples for that work. In Matthew 13, Jesus isn't managing expectations. Rather, what he's saying is, here's what's really going on. Here's what's really going on. So that his followers will be ready for when, for, for when things are hard. And they will be. The devil will disrupt things. Think forward to Acts chapter 7 and the storing of Stephen and God's people being scattered out of Jerusalem for fear of persecution. So for when things are hard, for when, for when things are weak or seem weak, like a mustard seed, how can the words of Jesus stand up to rioting crowds in Ephesus who are shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians? What power do words of Jesus have when faced with that? Or for when it's not clear whether the gospel is in fact having any impact at all. The work is hidden like leaven and bread. 
when it's not clear whether the message is being heard. And that would have been really felt, I suppose, by the disciples as they saw that resistance again and again from the Pharisees here in the narrative. And so we have three parables this evening about weeds, seeds, and yeast. We are to be realistic, says Jesus, about the present reality. That's the weeds. We are not to doubt the seemingly insignificant power of the gospel. That's the seeds. And we are not to despair of the hidden work of the gospel. That's the yeast. And each of these perspective-giving pictures of the kingdom at work help us to see that one day, and that day is not now, but one day, the work will be complete. That's a theme which is common to each parable. For now, though, the work is often hidden as the kingdom grows in a way which, for us at least, seems to be quite counterintuitive. But it is powerful and it is contagious. So, trust God to do his work in his way. And with that in mind, let's turn to our first parable, the parable of the weeds. No doubt the crowd, as they were sitting on the shore by Lake Galilee and listening to what Jesus was saying, could look around and perhaps see fields of wheat. As normal to his listeners then as to us now in Edinburgh, looking around and seeing a multitude of overpriced coffee shops Here in this parable, Jesus takes an everyday picture, a wheat field, and the crop that's growing there provokes jealousy in the heart of a competing farmer. And so there is sabotage. Weeds are sown out into the wheat. It's thought that the wheat Jesus is describing here is likely to be something called darnel, a poisonous plant which is indistinguishable from wheat in its early growth. And because in the early days of growth, the weeds and wheat are indistinguishable, any attempt to pull out the weeds would risk the wheat crop. Take another look um, at verse 27 in Matthew chapter 13. Verse 27. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? I mean, it's a, it's a good question, a fair question that is asked by the servants of the master. And I suppose what they're saying is, what's going on here? Is this what you mean for things to look like, this mixed field, this mixed bag? This doesn't make any sense. Why this way? Won't you do something about it now? They can't get their head around this mixed reality of both wheat and wheat being watered, fed simultaneously. And the counterintuitive response from the Lord of the harvest is, leave the wheat to grow. Leave the wheat to grow. It is not yet harvest time. The crop is not ready. Leave the wheat to grow. Now, the Lord of the harvest is not surprised, and he never is, by the fact that there are weeds growing in the field. He knows that an enemy has been at work. That's what verse 28 is all about. And he knows that there will be a harvest in time. But leave the crop until then. At harvest, that is when I will sort things. The weeds will be burned and the wheat will be gathered in safe. 
to my barn. And what Jesus is describing here is real life. Real life as we know it. We live now in Edinburgh in a mixed reality. They lived then in first century Palestine in a mixed reality. That's what Jesus says in verses 38 and 39. Let me read them again for us. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are the angels. What Jesus is warning against here is any misplaced idea that we can know in all its fullness now, Christendom, that we can build Christendom here and now. Until the harvest is ready, says Jesus, the field will always be mixed. There will always be those who follow Jesus and there will always be those who don't. Edinburgh will always have people who follow Jesus and we'll always have people who want nothing to do with him. And there is a devil. Jesus had no problems with the idea of a devil, and for that reason, nor should we. There is a devil who wants to disrupt the work of the kingdom because he cannot stand its success. Where there is fruit, the devil can't stand it, and so there are weeds. That's real life now. And for that reason... And don't we know it? Life is messy. It's hard. And ministry can be hard and messy because there is one out there who wants to sow weeds amongst the wheat. It cannot stand the kingdom's success. And Jesus tells us this because he wants us to be realistic about that. If we don't grasp this parable, then we may make the same mistake as the workers did in verse 28. We need to remember whose job is whose. It is not ours to judge and separate, and thank goodness for that. It's not ours to judge and separate, but the Lord's, and in his time. He is patient, he is gracious, and the not yet mixed element of the parable reminds us of that. Likewise, it is not our job to deal with the devil's schemes. That is the Lord's battle which he gladly wants to fight for us. Both of these truths are counterintuitive. We naturally want to sort. We naturally want to judge. But we are not always to know whose are his and whose are not. Think of Paul the Apostle. Was there any more disruptive weed in the early days of the church than he? Yet, What looked like darnel, what looked like a poisonous plant, turned out to be wheat. And we naturally want to deal with things ourselves in the same way that we naturally want to sort and judge. Where we see the devious schemes of the devil, we want to run into the battle, head on, deal with it ourselves. But that is not our battle to fight. That is not our work. The work of the evil one will not last. That's what Jesus says in verse 30. In verses 41 to 42. But the work of the Lord does last. Verse 30 and verse 43. Why? Because Christ has triumphed over the devil and his schemes at the cross. 
And so, Jesus says instead that we are to trust his judgment and to depend on him. Let him judge. Let him sort the devil. Judgment and justice are coming. Hold fast, he says. Listen again to the words of Jesus as he explains the parable in verses 41 to 43, this time to his disciples. He says this, the Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Now these are some pretty straightforward, clear words from Jesus himself on the reality of harvest and a day of judgment. Jesus wants us to be clear that we are in a mixed reality now. That's the pattern of weeds and wheat. But he also wants us to see that a mixed reality now does not mean a mixed future. He tells us this because Jesus is never ever in the business of offering false security to the world. Listen, he says, listen, an end will come. An end will come, and with it, final, irreversible, and certain separation of weeds, that is, those who care not for Jesus, and wheat, that is, those who love him. Yes, be realistic about the present, and avoid any ideas of, we've made it now. But also, be certain about the future. A mixed reality now does not mean a mixed eternity. It is the righteous, says Jesus, those who love him, who will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Listen. Jesus then takes his listeners from the harvest field to the garden center. He moves from weeds to seeds. That's what we find in verses 31 to 32. At the time, apparently, the mustard seed was proverbial for being the smallest and most insignificant of things. Imagine then the surprise of the listener at the time as Jesus spoke these words in verse 31. He put before them another parable saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. Once again, it's completely counterintuitive stuff. Forget any ideas of eye-catching, obvious strength and power. Think instead of tiny mustard seeds. We are, however, however, not to be misled by this humble and insignificant beginning of the kingdom because the parable continues in verse 32. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. What Jesus is saying here is that God uses what appears weak and powerless, but in the end is spectacular and completely sufficient. Think back to John the Baptist's question, are you really the Christ? Is it you? 
And then think of the surprising way in which Jesus chooses to inaugurate his kingdom. Here is a king who is born in a stable in Nazareth of all places, a sleepy backwater. A king who is a carpenter with nowhere to lay his head. It looks weak. The stuff of mustard seeds. And indeed, there is more weakness to come. Here is a king who is nailed to a cross, despised, rejected. Well, that appears insignificant and feeble and weak. Hardly the stuff of a kingdom, is it? It's the stuff of mustard seeds, surely. And if it looked feeble to many then, it certainly still looks feeble to many now. Perhaps it feels feeble to us. Church seems so weak and insignificant. Consider the volume of people who are in your class at school or who are sitting with you in lecture theatres, who are with you in the office, who sit with you in the staff room, who are in the hospitals, who are in our toddler groups, who are in our families, wherever. And the challenge to us is, do you trust this tiny mustard seed, this despised king, this rejected king, for all of that? For all of that. And for all we have are words, words about Jesus. And what about where colleagues are critical or for when friends think this is a waste of time or when family is stubborn or worse, I find it worse, where there's complete ambivalence or where we can see over there at that church or that event there's something more shiny happening, something more interesting, something more exciting. And all we have is a simple gospel. Does it feel weak sometimes? Perhaps dreary or dull? Well, Jesus is saying that the gospel may look, feel, or sound weak, but it is sufficient. It alone is what leads to the kind of spectacular growth that we see at the end of the parable. That's what leads us there, to that big tree with enough room for birds and nests. It alone, the gospel alone, contains the power within it to grow the kingdom of heaven. So, says Jesus, don't abandon it for something that looks or sounds outwardly impressive. Don't turn away for something that seems outwardly more interesting or spiritual or important. Trust this tiny seed to do its work. Trust the Lord to do things in his way. It was, after all, the mustard seed of the gospel that was planted in the hearts of a handful of men and women who followed Jesus and who would, who would go out from Jerusalem and take the gospel across the surrounding nations, a message which has endured not just centuries but millennia, which has not only outlasted empires but has, in fact, outspread them, which has come up against all manner of resistance and squashing and silencing, but has endured iron curtains, revolutions, enlightenments, and killing fields. Indeed, we were thinking this evening about China, where years ago gospel growth seemed impossible, but there's now a thriving, burgeoning church. And think closer to home on Morningside Road, where once a church building was closed and handed over for secular use, well, there's now a living gospel church there, the Charmers. And all of this from a tiny mustard seed. And if the parable is to be believed, 
and it is, there is much more to come. So don't be misled by the apparent insignificance of the kingdom. Trust the Lord to do his work in his way. Lastly, Jesus moves us from seed packets to the kitchen in verse 33. Here is another typical picture from the day bread is being prepared in the home and yeast is added and it permeates the whole batch of flour until it is completely leavened. Nowhere else in the Bible, here's a fun fact, is yeast used as an illustration in this way. You can share this with friends and family next week. It is usually used as a symbol of evil. Here, however, we have the one exception to the rule. And what Jesus wants us to understand is that the work of the kingdom is often hidden. It's hidden much in the same unseen way that yeast works through the whole medium in which it is put. So God is at work in unseen ways in his world. Now, I think that the counterintuitive punch of this particular parable is quite hard for us. How do we let this idea of unseen, slow, seemingly weak kingdom growth shape our thinking about God's kingdom in a culture that is so caught up with instant, Quick, fast, on-demand, results-driven, feeling-centered, freedom of information wanting, transparency demanding, reply craving. So counterintuitive. Are we ready for God to do things in his way? In his time? Are we ready for hidden works? The results of which we may see now, but we may not until the harvest is taken in. I don't doubt that part of the reason that Jesus is telling these parables is to grow the trust of those who follow him. Will you rely, says Jesus, not on what you can see, but on the evidence that is unseen? Is your trust in the matchless, changeless person of Christ in whom there is no shadow caused by turning? Will you trust the evidence of the things unseen, when the work is thankless and hard and when the message is rejected and scorned and where it looks or feels as though nothing is happening. There's no fireworks. The yeast is leavening the bread. The yeast is leavening the bread. The Lord is at work in his world. Work which will be completed, and it will be completed, just as a batch of dough will become fully leavened. Will you trust, says Jesus, the evidence that is unseen? I think of one guy I know who, the first few times he came to Eshu camp with me, I mean, I couldn't have told you either way whether what was being taught was in fact taking root in his heart. Threw himself into the program, seemed to enjoy being at camp, but so far as the teaching was concerned, I mean, I I knew nothing. I knew nothing. It wasn't until a couple of years ago at camp that one evening after the the evening meeting, it became abundantly plain that it was. It was pouring out of him. That was just just wonderful to see. It's great. 
I mean, and it still is. Jesus is still at work doing wonderful things in his life. And there are moments like that that God in his grace gives us to encourage us, this side of eternity, where we get a little glimpse of that hidden work. And for the times that we don't see that, or we find the waiting hard, and it is hard, Jesus lifts our eyes in each of these parables to the certain hope that we have. And as we round off this evening, we're just going to zoom out and look at a common denominator to each of these parables. So look with me at verse 8. It says this. Other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Similarly, in verse 23, he indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, sixty, and in another thirty. Verse 30, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Verse 32, it is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Verse 33, till it was all leavened. And finally, verse 43, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Time and again, in these short parables, Jesus lovingly lifts our eyes from the hidden work of the kingdom we cannot always understand and we do not always see to show us the hope that we have if we love him of a future that will come a hope that is certain as certain as dough will leaven as certain as a harvest that will be made ready and will be gathered in safe to the barn a certain hope that is safe and sufficient as grain is safe in that farmer's barn, or birds are where their home is made in a vast tree, and where God's people are full and radiant with joy because they are with their Father in his kingdom, and their Father is with them. So don't despair of the hidden work of the gospel. Don't doubt the seemingly insignificant power of the gospel. Be realistic about the present reality and trust the Lord to do things in his way. I'm going to finish this evening just with a couple of verses from a hymn and then I'll pray and then we'll sing our final song together. Um, This is a hymn that I often associate with tins of Heinz soup because it's always sung at harvest. Come, you thankful people, come. I'm going to read um, the last two verses of that hymn by Henry Alford, because it so wonderfully captures everything that's going on in this passage. Let me read these, and then I'll pray for us, and then we'll sing. For the Lord our God shall come, and shall bring his harvest home. He himself, on that great day, worthless things shall take away. Give his angels charge at last in the fire the weeds to cast, but the fruitful ears to store in his care 
forevermore. Even so, Lord, quickly come. Bring your final harvest home. Gather all your people in, free from sorrow, free from sin. There, together, purified, ever thankful at your side. Come, with all your angels, come and bring that glorious harvest home. Let's pray. Father, how our hearts yearn with that of the hymn writer that you would come quickly and bring your harvest home. We thank you, Lord, that in your mercy, in each of these parables, you give us a glimpse of a certain hope, of a future with you if we love you and know you as our King. And for the times, Lord, and we think of them now, even in the week ahead of Monday morning, where we are perhaps already despairing of the hidden work or doubting the power of the gospel. Lord, please warm our hearts once more with your word tonight that we might have complete and utter confidence in your son, the Lord Jesus, as you send us out once more to do your work in the field. Help us with that, we pray, and come quickly. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.